0: Uh, If you have your Bible, take it out. Again, if you need a Bible, the ushers will get you one if you raise your hand. Hold it up nice and high. Let's all say this together. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, will hide his word in my heart, so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? We are going to 1 Samuel chapter number 16, um, just one verse there, and then over at 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, Because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 32, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail. Because of him your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. Today we are continuing in our series, All In, and I want to minister to you uh, part number two of cultivating an all-in heart. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you uh, for ministering to us, and we open our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we began to look at the life of David because we pointed out that David above everybody else in the Bible is the only one that is given the title or the description a man after God's own heart. It's not Moses, it's not Abraham, it's not Elijah or Daniel or Esther or Ruth or any of the Bible greats, but David is called a man after God's own heart. And when we talk about David, we usually remember the uh, kind of highlight story of David's life, which is when he took the five smooth stones and a slingshot and defeated the giant named Goliath. And when we hear about the story of David and Goliath, just a mention of it kind of causes the adrenaline and the confidence to begin to kind of pump through our blood a little bit. I like to think of David as the the Rocky movie of the Bible. You hear the story, you read the story, and you start hearing the eye of the tide you start swinging in the spirit. You know, David gives us that confidence in God. But if you and I are going to be like David, we have to get some spiritual stones, if you will. David took five from the brook, but we have to get some confidence. We have to get some godly moxie. We have to have a god or a confidence that God is going to deliver us from whatever it is that we face in life. And when I contemplate the story of David, I'm not impressed with the fact that David David won, because if God is on your side, who can be against you, right? So I'm not impressed with the fact that David won. I'm impressed with the fact that David went into the fight. Not that he won, but but that he went, because nobody else would go. Everybody else was afraid, right? Uh, all of Israel was afraid. Eliab, uh, David's older brother, who was jealous of him and envious of him and talked down to him, he wouldn't go. Saul, who was supposed to go, he wouldn't go. Nobody went, but David went. And by the way, you can't win it unless you're in it. A lot of times we're expecting God to just do stuff for us, but can I tell you, unless you go, most of the time, it remains a no. You gotta, you gotta step out. You gotta, you gotta go into the battles. You gotta be willing to fight where God says to fight. And so I'm not impressed with the fact that David won, but I am impressed with the fact that David went. And, and by the way, uh, 100% of the time that you stand on the sideline, you will not receive victory, right? Sideliners never receive the, the crown of over. Coming in life, they never accomplish the things that God has called them to accomplish you 've got to get in the fight and so why did david why was it that David was willing to go where nobody else would and the answer is because David had an all in heart, and david 's heart was connected to the cause that David was fighting for, and we hear him kind of say it over and over again in the story first samuel seventeen verse forty five he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the army of Israel whom you've defiled. And then in verse number 47, he says, all the assembly will know that the Lord does not save with the sword and the spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hands. He's talking to Goliath. In other words, the cause for David that caused him to pay any cost for the cause of Christ was that the Goliath was coming against God, the God of the armies of Israel. And so your cause has everything to do with the cost that you're willing to pay in life. And our heart is connected to both the cause and therefore is willing to pay the price. And David had this heart that was all in. And when your heart is all in, God will use you in ways that he will not use other people. David was selected over people who were older, superior wiser stronger and more qualified when your heart is open or when your heart is all in there are all sorts of doors that god will open for you in your life matter of fact the scripture specifically tells us that god is looking for people whose hearts are all in second chronicles 16 verse number nine says for the eyes of the lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth To show himself strong on behalf of those who are really qualified. That's not what it says, right? Those who have trained real hard. That's not what it says. Even though all that's true, but whose heart is fully devoted or loyal to him. It's when your heart is all in that God will show himself strong through you and on behalf of you. And so last week we began to talk about how does God cultivate in us an all-in heart? How can we cooperate with God to have an all-in heart? And I gave you three things. The first one was how you handle rejection. We're not going to go over it again, but the second one was how you handle success, and the third one is how you steward the gifts that God has given you, and so if any of those things kind of tweak your interest, go back online, get the message, press rewind, and listen again, but today, I want to give you three or four new ways that God cultivates an all-in heart in us, and the first one is how we understand our identity. Did you ever notice How many identity assassins came against David on his way to the throne? His father, his father wouldn't call him in. He didn't think he was king material. His brother, his brother, when he came out onto the battlefield, said, who have you left those few sheep with? I know why you're here. You're arrogant. You're prideful. You know, you just came here to check things out, stick your nose where it doesn't belong. His brother tried to assassinate his character. Basically, he was saying, you're arrogant. You're insignificant. You're full of pride. There's nothing more to you than a mere shepherd boy. His father was basically saying, you know what? I don't see kingly success in you but then he gets before Saul and you remember what Saul said to David you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him for your youth he's a man of war ever since his youth." youth. In other words, you can't, you're not able, you'll never be. All of the identity assassins, what the identity assassins do is they ask the question, who are you? And then they give you the answer. Then they then they fill in the blanks. And the enemy does that with us, doesn't he? He'll kind of challenge, well, who do you think you are? And what makes you think you're capable? And what makes you think that God will use you in this way? The identity assassins abound. And then not only was it his father, not only was it his brother, not only was it the king but it was also Goliath when he got onto the battlefield Goliath said this to him and when the Philistines looked about and they saw David or the Philistine looked about and saw David he disdained him for he was only a youth he was ruddy and he was good-looking so the Philistine said to him am i a dog that you come to me with sticks and the Philistines cursed David by his gods who do you think you are look at you you're just a kid look at you you're just a pretty boy look at you you Just play with sticks. What makes you think God can use you? Over and over again, the identity assassins came to David to stop him from fulfilling his destiny. They told him that he was illegitimate and unloved. They told him he was arrogant and full of pride. They told him he was a shepherd boy and not a king. They told him he was a kid and not a man, a never will be and a not good enough. The identity assassins will always try to stop you from fulfilling your destiny. They did it with Jesus, didn't they? You remember what happened with Jesus when he was in the wilderness and he got tempted by the devil? If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Why? The identity assassins are trying to assign to us an inferior identity in our heart so that way we will never fulfill our assignment. And it's the same devil, different time, isn't it? Because that's what hap- what's happening in our generation. This is one of the tactics of the enemy, trying to assign inferior identities to people to stop them from walking in their destiny. It used to be that the enemy would wait until you got a little bit older to a- attack your identity, but now he starts it right at birth. We're right now on our birth certificates, right? They have options. It's not just male and female. What is it well non-binary what is it well we don't know we're going to let them decide you get into kindergarten and they're trying to assign different identities to us why the identity assassins will always come in order to stop us from being who we truly are so that we can fulfill the destiny that god has for us come on somebody say amen That's what's happening. But what I love about David is David knew who he was, right? When his father overlooks him, the oil from Samuel's horn validates him. When his brothers criticize him, the text says that David turned from him. When Saul said, you're just a kid, David said, yeah, but I killed a lion and a bear. And when Goliath tried to put an inferior identity on David, David said, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I'm going to strike you down and I'm going to take your head from you. What was David saying? You may not think much of me, but I know who I am. And here's what we have to understand. We have to allow our identity to be assigned by God himself. And the greatest identity that you can ever take on is that you are a child of God. And when you know that you're a child of God and you have that sealed in your heart, your heart remains all into God. Because if the enemy can get you to think something other than who you are in your heart, he can destroy your destiny. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, for as a man thinketh in his heart, not in his head, but in his heart. See, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to put an inferior identity on the inside of you. Because if you don't really know who you are, you will go the rest of your life dealing with that wound and trying to cover it up. And you will never be what God has called you to be. But if you ever know who you are, that you're a king's kid and a more than conqueror, that you're the head and not the tail, that you're anointed for the assignment and filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, if you know that you're an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, a representative of God and an ambassador of heaven, an extension of the Father and a partner with God, a victor and not a victim, separated and set apart, called for such a time as this, made in the image and likeness of God, a masterpiece of God, gifted in grace for whatever it is that God created you to do, a valuable son or daughter of God that has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, and most of all, a child of God. if you realize that you are a child of God and you allow that to be the identity assigned in your heart, there's nothing that you can't ever do. And David's heart was fully sold out to that. He said, I don't really care what they say about me. I don't really care what they think about me. I know who I am. How did David know who he was? He immersed himself in God. You see, if you don't immerse yourself in God... You'll never know that you know that you know who you are. See, everything begins to get warped in our life as we walk away from the Lord, as we don't spend time with God. And David immersed himself with the Lord in those times when he was tending the sheep, when it was just him and the sheep and he had nobody to talk to. Sometimes you ought to consider yourself blessed when you have nobody to talk to. Because it'll force you to talk to God. It'll force you to spend time with God. I think sometimes we have too many options, right? We pick up the phone. We tell this one about our problems and that one about our problems. And then if they do, we don't like the answer they got, we find somebody else. And, you know, somebody asks, how are you doing? And we look at it as an opportunity to just tell them all about what's going on. We talk to too many people. You know, I love having people around me, don't get me wrong, but I love it when it's just me and God, because that when it's me and God, there's a holy exchange that takes place where I speak to God, and God speaks to my heart, and he assures me on the inside, just like he wants to do for you, that I'm his child and that nothing, nothing, nothing can stop the destiny that he has for me if I immerse myself in him. David Always rebuffed or rebuked anybody who tried to put a different identity on him. He got before Saul. He said to Saul, he said, listen, I'll go out and fight the, the giant. And look at what Saul says. He says, go ahead and take, take my, my armor. And David says, I can't work with these. First Samuel chapter 17, verse number 39, cause I have not tested them. And David took them off. Translation, this isn't me. I don't need to change what I look like on the outside because I'm comfortable with who God created me to be. I'm happy to be me. I don't need to try these on because I don't want to be you. I'm happy being me. I am David. I am anointed for the assignment. I am hand-selected by God to be the king. This is who I am. I am who God said I am, not who my father said I am, not who my brother said I am, not who you say I am, not who Goliath said I am, but who God says I am. I can I can't put these on because that's not me. I I'm, I'm not I'm not you Saul. I'm David we need to be comfortable with who God created us to be you're a child of God you're not a mistake you're a child of God you're not inferior you're a child of God you're not below you're a child of God you're not defeated you're a child of God you're not barely making it by you're a child of God you're not somebody who never can you're a child of God and we need to get that in our spirits because that's what keeps our heart we're a child of God and if I know I'm a child of God I know my fathers always watching. I know my father's always looking after me. I know that if his eye is on the sparrow, I know he's looking out for me. I know if he can take care of the lilies of the field and clothe them in ways that Solomon never was, I know that he can take care of my needs. If I'm a child of God, if I see myself that way, my heart is all in in every situation. second thing that God does to cultivate an all-in heart in us is how familiar we are with our covenant. David says, I'll go. Saul says, you can't because you're just. And David responds and he says this, 1 Samuel 17, verse 36. Your servant killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, when I read this, you know, when I first started reading the Bible, I thought this is weird. Who calls somebody an uncircumcised Philistine? Right? Uh, imagine yourself, you're on the playground and you're, you're, you know, you're talking smack to one another, right? You're talking smack. You're so ugly, your mom makes you look in the mirror just for punishment. You know? Uh, or you're so fat, when you're at the beach, a whale swims up to you and starts singing, we are family. You know, you, you're so dumb that you think that a quarterback is a refund, you know? I mean, you, you're talking all this kind of smack. And then you got David, right? Here comes David. And David's like, you, come on, jump, you uncircumcised Philistine. What? What what in the world is going on? Well, see, circumcision or lack thereof was a sign of covenant or lack of covenant in the Bible times. And covenant was a big, big deal to God. Matter of fact, Psalm 89 verse number 4 says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Covenant was a big deal to Bible, in Bible times, to God, and to the people who lived in Bible times. They had an ever-living, ever-present understanding of what it meant to be in covenant. And when you have a covenant, especially in Bible times, there were five parts to that covenant. The first part was the questioning, where both sides would begin to question one another, ask them whatever they wanted to, to make sure that they could keep their end of the covenant, when they were satisfied with the questioning, then they went on to an exchange where they would exchange gifts, and those gifts were because we're in covenant with one another now. We want to seal that, or we want to we want to exchange gifts to celebrate that. After they exchanged gifts, the next part, or the most important part of the covenant, was the cutting of the covenant. This is where they shed blood, and they literally would put uh, slits in their wrists. And they would co-mingle the blood together. And as they were doing this, it would drip. I know it's disgusting. It would drip into a cup. And then they would drink the cup of that blood. Can you see the imagery already, right? In so many different ways. And they would drink that. And as they were drinking that blood, the high priest would begin to pronounce the, the fourth part of the covenant, the blessings and the cursings. And he would begin to uh, pronounce over them as they were cutting that covenant and drinking that blood, he'd begin to say, now all of these blessings are yours as a result of being in this covenant. And then, before they stopped the blood portion of the covenant, he would then pronounce the cursing. And he would say, if you break this covenant, you break it, at the expense of your own life And then after that The fifth part of the covenant Was what was called The longevity part of the covenant And this is where they, After they cut the covenant They would plant a tree And the reason why They would plant a tree Is because trees are supposed to you know, Live for long, long periods of time And if there weren't any trees around They would stack stones And so this was how They made covenant in Bible times Now let me just show you How that relates to our covenant By the way The questioning was the first thing God looked over eternity past. And he looked at you and I, and he realized our frailty and our human faults, and he realized that we would never be able to uphold the covenant. And so instead of him cutting the covenant with us for us, he cut the covenant with himself on our behalf. He questioned himself. He said, will you do anything that it takes to uphold this covenant? And he said yes to himself. That's why God the Father and God the Son, God and God, they cut the covenant together they questioned one another the exchange the exchange was when jesus got all of our horrible things and we got all of jesus's good things amen second corinthians 5:21 for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of god in christ jesus here's the exchange jesus gets all our trash we get all of heaven's treasure Jesus gets our sins, we get his sanctification. Jesus gets our unholiness, we get his righteousness. Jesus gets our punishment, and we get his place with the Father. The exchange went in our favor. But then there was a cutting of the covenant, wasn't there? Jesus' blood was spilt for you and I. It was spilt in the garden when he sweat drops of blood. It was spilt as he was being crucified on the cross. And it was spilt as the Roman soldier stuck that spear into his side. And when his blood was spilt, all heaven was pronouncing every blessing that has now been sealed by that covenant. All heaven was shouting out, healing is now yours. Prosperity is now yours. Wisdom is now yours. Victory is now yours. Peace is now yours. Joy is now yours. Every promise over 700 of them being pronounced over the cutting. But then there was the cursing part. And can I tell you the good news? You know who the curse was pronounced on? Not you and I if we break the covenant. Matter of fact, Jesus said they're going to break it. So guess what I'll do? I'll take the curse of breaking the covenant in advance. And listen to what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 verse number 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hanging on a tree that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. What is the Bible talking about? He took the curses. He took in advance us breaking the covenant so that we can stay positioned to receive all of the blessings of the covenant. And did you notice where he did it? He did it on a what? On a tree. Why? Why? Because his covenant is for a thousand generations, right? My covenant will I not break, the scripture says, nor alter the things that have gone out of my mouth. Jesus cut a covenant with you and I. And by the way, I know it's Valentine's Day. You know marriage is the same kind of covenant? The exchange will you take so-and-so to be your lawfully wedded husband, wife, in sickness and in health till death for better or for worse, until death do you fall? What's that? That's the questioning. In other words, when when life comes, right? And you are tried and you are pressed in every way. Are you able to withhold? Are you able to stand fast in that covenant? And if the answer is yes, if both people say yes, now we exchange gifts. What are the gifts? Those are the rings, right? And then after we exchange the rings, what do we do? We cut the covenant. That's the honeymoon, right? Where the covenant, I know it's not cut like it should be cut today. Because everybody cut in covenant with people who they shouldn't be in covenant with before they're married to them. But on the honeymoon, you are supposed to cut covenant. Covenant. that's where blood is supposed to be exchanged so that is ratified and so that is sealed right and then after that there are the blessings that are pronounced now what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine we share everything together I, I don't know what's up with these people who they keep their money separate that's my money that's your money I spend my money it's your but I just give you a little this and you give me a little no 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 no, no. wait wait a second we're in covenant with one another ain't you Guess what? Everything I have is yours. Everything you have is mine. Right down to your own body. That's why the Bible says the husband's body is not his own and the wife's body is not her own. But they belong to one another. Why? Because we're in covenant with one another. It's an exchange. It is an all in, right? It's everything. And we do it till when? Till death do us part, right? It's longevity. It's forever. It's forever. Everything that we enjoy in life should be thought of as a covenant, a bond. David, when he came out onto the battlefield, he wasn't talking smack. He was talking facts. He said, y'all think I'm going to lose. Here's the reason why y'all think I'm going to lose. Because y'all forgot that I'm covered by covenant, and he's not. And so I don't go into that fight by myself. I go into that fight with God who's backing me, with heaven who's backing me, because everything that my father has, it belongs to me. So his power is going to show up on my behalf. His presence is going to show up on my behalf. His armies are going to show up on my behalf. I don't know how he's going to do it, but here's what I know. God will stand behind his covenant, and that's why I'm going to win, because he's uncircumcised, and I'm not. And guess what happens in your heart when you know that you got covenant on your side? You have a confidence. You're all in. I'm gonna step out because I know when I step out, God is gonna step in. The third way that God cultivates in us an all in heart is in how we use and understand our weapons. In Bible times there were different kind of warriors. There was the cavalry, they rode on horses. There was the infantry. They fought with swords and spears in close combat. Then there was the artillery. And these were the archers and the slingers. David was a slinger. These these were bad boys. This This wasn't like, you know, low level. This was highly skilled, highly trained. Some of them, this wasn't like a spitball and a straw. When they got that slingshot moving, it would be moving six to seven revolutions per minute around that. And whatever came from that uh, slingshot was a projectile doomed to cause or destined to cause destruction. And Goliath was a swordsman. Goliath was great in hand-to-hand combat. And so who had the advantage, the swordsman or the slinger? Well, it depends how you fight, right? Depends how you fight. If you fight up close, Goliath's going to win. But if you fight in where your weapons are skilled at then David was going to win. And it just so happened that Goliath was in the valley. And in order to get to the fight, David had to come running down from the hill. So guess what God did? He set it up for David because he put him at a distance where David could use his weapons the right way. And so as David was running toward him, David didn't wait till he was close. David was running toward him and he threw that thing and God took over from there. By the time he got to where Goliath would be good, hand to hand, Goliath was already disarmed. Why? Because he used his weapons right because he understood his weapons and see what we need to understand is God has given us mighty weapons for the pulling down of strongholds and what the enemy tries to do is he tries to get us to fight on his level He beckons us to the fight through bitterness and through unforgiveness and through holding out on God and through not being faithful to the spiritual disciplines that we are supposed to. And all the things and tit for tat and all these things that we do in the natural. And when we fight on the enemy's level, guess what? He kills us. But those of us that understand, we don't have the same weapons that the world has. We have spiritual weapons, mighty weapons for the pulling down of strongholds. We don't allow the enemy to cause us to fight at a low level. Instead, we fight with the weapons that God has given us. We fight with the weapon of the word that God watches over, waiting to perform it. We fight with the weapon of praise that causes our God to inhabit the scenes. We fight with the Weapons of prayer that kills the enemy before we even get close to the enemy. We fight with the weapons of generosity that causes an increase to come back into our life. We fight with the weapons of faithfulness that causes God to entrust us with more. We fight with the weapons of forgiveness which causes our hearts to be clean. And here's what God is saying to us. If we are ever going to have an all-in heart, we got to fight with the right weapons. Instead of getting pulled down here. And you see, that's what the devil always do. He tried to do it to Jesus, didn't he? He said, if you are the Son of God, then then do this. Fight down here. Jesus said, no, no, no. I don't ever stoop to your level. Whenever we get carnal in the way that we handle situations, we are stooping to the enemy's level. We are fighting him in hand-to-hand combat when God has made you a slinger. It's time to start slinging the word. It's time to start slinging some praise. It's time to start slinging some generosity. It's time to start using your weapons. And when you use your weapons, that way there is a confidence that comes in your heart. There is an assurance that is in your heart. The last way that God cultivates an all-in-heart in us. And I think it's probably one of the most significant ways is as we walk through the valleys. Listen to what David writes. David's now an old man. He's looking back. He's been a king. He's looking back on his life, and he says in Psalm 23, verse number 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is perhaps one of the best-known verses in the Bible. It's certainly the best-known verse in Psalm 23. It is the middle verse. And it's the middle verse for good reason. It's because if you read the psalm, everything changes in verse number 4. In the first three verses, David is focused on the shepherd's care for him. What what can you do for me? But all of a sudden, David gets intimate. It's as if David lifts up his eyes to the hills from which his help comes from in verse number 4. And David begins to speak about this valley, a valley that we call death. And sure enough, death is one of the grimmest valleys for the people who are left behind. But death is really not Uh, A grim situation. It's really a doorway for those that love Jesus. It's a valley that leads them to the highest of highs. It leads them to the place that God has prepared for us called heaven. And when we come to verse number four, verse number four is literally a valley that leads them to a high place. Because look at what verse five says. It says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Well, what's a table? A tableland in Bible times was the place that the shepherd would take the sheep during the hot summer times. He would take the sheep from the homestead all the way up to a tableland which was a flat piece on the top of a mountain. And before the shepherd would ever take the sheep to these tablelands, he would go out a great few months before and he would search out the place that he's ultimately gonna take his sheep. And he would prepare that place. And he would make sure the grass was green and he would make sure there was water nearby and he would make sure that it was free of insects and bugs and all kinds of dangers and he would prepare that place. Remember what Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Death is the doorway to the ultimate place that God has prepared for us. But even here on earth, valleys are the doorways to the destinies that God has prepared for us. And so that's what the shepherd would do to get there. The only thing was, in order to get to the mountaintop, you had to go up through the valley. Now I know that doesn't make sense, up through the valley, but if you know how they construct roadways through mountains, they pick the valleys, the flat portions that level off and they put the road there and then they kind of swerve it around, they pick another flat portion, so you go up the mountain through the valley. And even though this was a place that was often dark, these valleys, because the mountains were on either side and sunlight wouldn't often hit them, they were also the places where the most vegetation was during this trek. They were well watered. Predators were all around. There were dangers of mudslides and rock slides and so the sheep had to stay really close to the shepherd and the shepherd would lead them through these valley experiences and these valley times in order to get them up to the tableland. And in order to get them up there safely, the shepherd had to use his rod and his staff. And the rod of a shepherd was a stick that was carefully crafted to the shepherd's size and strength. And a shepherd before they became a shepherd would practice with their rod so they could throw it with speed and accuracy. And the rod was used for two reasons. Number one, to kill predators that were attacking the sheep. And so if the sheep were grazing in the field and the shepherd was watching and here came a predator, as the predator pounced, the shepherd would take that rod and whizz it through the air. It was like a projectile that, that was flung with such speeds. By the time it hit, that predator The predator would be killed before it got to the sheep. But the second way they would use the rod is to prod the sheep that were stubborn. If the sheep needed to be disciplined, they would gently use the rod. Do you know what the rod is? The rod is the word of God. With the word of God, that's how we disarm the enemy. With the word of God, that's how God corrects us to keep us from going off track. But then he would also use the staff. And the staff was carefully crafted to care for the sheep. That's why it had a big hook in it. And what they would do with that staff is a couple of different things. First of all, if the sheep began to wander, the shepherd would grab the sheep with the staff to bring it back into intimacy or communion with the rest of the flock. But then also, if the shepherd loved that particular sheep, he would use the rod to pull that sheep close to himself. And a lot of times on long walks, if the shepherd had a sheep that he liked the most, what he would do is he would lay that staff right on the side of that sheep to let them know I'm here The whole, sort of like holding hands if you will and they would walk together and you know what the staff is? The staff is the Holy Spirit. The staff is the comforter. The staff is the one who keeps us close to Jesus, keeps us close to the things of God and as they were going through these valleys they would develop these experiences with the shepherd that would keep their heart knit to the shepherd because as the shepherd moved them from a mudslide and as the shepherd moved them out of the way of a rock Slide. And as the shepherd brought them to places during the hot summer that, were, that had water in it and grass in it, all of a sudden they began to f- form an allegiance, a loyalty to that shepherd. Do you know what happens in the valley seasons of life? As God delivers us and as we walk with God through sickness, and as we walk with God through disease, and as we walk with God through financial hardship, and as we walk with God through family trials, and as we walk with God through hard circumstances here in this world, and as God is with us the whole step of the way, something happens in our heart. All of a sudden we realize just how much He loves us and just how dependent we are on Him, and our heart is knit to Him. It's in the valley experiences of life that God creates an all in heart in us where we realize that it's truly in you that we live and move and have our being God wants our hearts he wants them to be all in in every single way that's how God cultivates a all in heart I don't know who this is for but the reason why our hearts can be all in is because Of every valley that he's took us through. Of every shadow that he saved you from. Of every place that he's walked with you in. Of every enemy that he delivered you from. Of every danger that he brought you out of. Of all the compassion he's had for you. For every mountain he's brought you through. For every trial he's helped you through. For every blessing we sing hallelujah. I will give you praise. That's where your heart is made. In those moments God is looking for all in hearts we're going to be talking about this for a few more weeks but but this is God's commission to the church I don't want a half in heart I want a heart that is fully devoted to me no matter what the cost that is what God is challenging with this, us with this year and my prayer is that we will step up to the challenge and experience new levels and dimensions of God like never before. Would you stand to your feet? Father, like David prayed, create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit within us. Take not away your spirit, cast us not away from your presence. Lord, help us to be fully devoted to you in every way. Would you join me in prayer? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you have never made the first step in, which is to surrender your life to Jesus, listen to me so carefully as you're prayerful. You don't just automatically go to heaven. You don't just automatically have a relationship with God. You've got to choose in. You've got to opt in. But let me caution you, the opt-in requires a full sellout. This is not a little dabble, do you? This is not just enough to know that you've done your religious service. God wants an all-in relationship with you, and the stakes are high. Because those who put their faith in Jesus, he promises to give eternal life. And those who say no, they stand before God based on their own merit. And can I tell you something about us? All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So Jesus stands here today as the good shepherd offering us the only gift that he can give us, which is eternal life. And my question for you is, have you received Jesus Christ as your savior? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, pastor, I don't know if I'm right with God, but today I want to go all in. I want to give him my life, not, not partially, but completely right where you are. Say, pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? Hold your hand up so I can pray for you. Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus today. God bless you, sir. Pastor, today I want to go all in, give my life to Jesus. I'm looking. Anybody else? Amen. God bless you. You can put your hands down. If you're watching at home or you're watching at one of our locations on television, you want to give your life to Jesus. He wants to save your soul right now. This is for you too. For everyone who raised their hand and everyone watching, wherever they're seeing this message, let's pray this prayer together right now. Would you pray with me out loud? Heavenly Father, I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me as I make Jesus Christ my personal Savior. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, usher usher's going to find you if they haven't already. Give you a little gift It's uh, so you know what it means to be born again and give your life to Jesus.